Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. I want to draw your attention before we dive into the Word this morning uh, to our bulletins. Just a couple of things to draw to your attention. First and foremost, men, January 5th, 6 to 9 p.m., there will be what we like to call a men's event, a a pseudo-men's conference, a time of hearing some great testimony, some great food, and some great fellowship. So you can go online, register for that men's event, January 5th, 6 p.m., Also, tonight, so you are all here, today is Christmas Eve, but we want to invite you all back tonight because we do have different services for our Christmas Eve, our Christmas celebration, 4.30 and 6 o'clock, we would invite you to all come back um, for, for tonight's celebration. But as we get started, we are in our fourth Sunday of discovering who He is. This has been our Advent series, discussing everything from Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and today we're going to be discussing the life of King David, all as signposts, markers, billboards, if you will, to point us to Jesus Christ. Today we discover how he is, Jesus is the divine radiance, the radiance of divine Love. And we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, but it's going to take a little bit just to get us there, because much like a few weeks ago, we need to discuss, excuse me, we need to discuss the life of King David. So we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. You know, as a young pastor, someone who is in the beginning of my ministry, I do try to make it an effort to be aware of the impact and the influence that I have on those around me, especially teenagers and, and the young kids. Now, for many of you, if you were ever to see me on a Wednesday night, you'd probably be thinking to yourself, man, you have no filter on a Wednesday night. You have the most terrible influence on our kids. and It's chaotic, and if you would have seen me at the all-nighter this past week throwing dodgeballs at our youth and you'd be like, what kind of influence do you have? Well, there was one point in time that got me thinking a little bit more about my influence, about my impact, what I'm leaving on, what I'm passing on to our, to our youth. A couple of years back, I was leading our small group discussion, and it was with the junior high boys. So automatically, you want to make sure that you're leaving, passing on something good to these junior high boys. And for whatever reason, I wanted to communicate to them that When people give me thanks or when they tell me what a sermon meant to them or that a lesson was good, it's important in that time to make sure that the working of the Holy Spirit is glorified, that the Holy Spirit is is being given that credit for, for the work that he did that I could then give a sermon or a lesson. I wanted to say more than just a mere thank you. Well, I, I, I told the junior high boys this, and they, you know, they listened to it, and for some of them it went in one year and out the other. It's just small group time. Well, I don't know, a week or two go by, and I, I give this lesson for our, our youth group. And Cole Ballman, 
And Cole Bauman is one of our biggest church volunteers. You should know this from the beginning. One of our biggest church volunteers. He's one of our N2 owners. He takes charge. He takes ownership. But let me tell you this. Cole Bauman sometimes is too smart for his own good. Yeah, he's right there, right behind Dave Meyer. I can see him. And this was a couple years ago, so he was, he was younger. He's wiser now. But uh, in seventh grade, he comes up to me after this youth lesson. He says, hey, Justin, that was a good lesson. And I say, thanks, Cole. That means a lot. And I leave it there. And in that moment, as we're sitting with the rest of the squad, the rest of the junior high boys, he's like, aren't you going to give credit to the Holy Spirit? And he, cold as ice, just calls me out in front of those other guys. And I'm just thinking to myself, Cole, I could just, just take you down right now, man. But you see, in that moment, though, this was something silly. This is something trivial, simple. But in that moment, I began thinking to myself, man, what other things have I missed? What other things have I let slip? What other things have I done? Bad decisions, good decisions? What have I done that these guys, my youth, this church, others around me are latching on to, remembering, all because I wasn't aware I begin overthinking about every decision. You can ask my wife when we go home on a Wednesday night, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? I become consumed with, with my actions and my decisions, my words. And I know, I know that I am not the only one here who does this. I've had conversations with parents who are consumed with thinking, man, I've, I've messed my kids up. And I've made some mistakes. If only I had done this better. If only I had done that. And on the flip side, uh, there are the parents who give themselves all the credit. Man, I'm glad I did that because otherwise who knows where my kids would be. Man, I'm glad I did this. Who knows where my, where my parents or my students or who knows where anybody would be had I not done that. You see, as, as humans, we become consumed with our words. We become consumed with our actions, good or bad. We give ourselves the credit for the good and the bad. We begin thinking to ourselves that, man, could I have done that better? We ask ourselves, did I, did I make too many mistakes? Did I make mistakes? Am I the reason that so-and-so went off the deep end? When we ask ourselves, did I make mistakes? When we ask ourselves, could I have done something better? I'm going to be honest with you. All of us, myself included, the answer is yes and yes. We all have made mistakes. And we all could have done better. There is no way in this world that we could live a perfect life that leaves no form of negative impact or influence on those around us. So then when it comes to thinking about what we're passing on to those around us, when it comes to thinking about what, what kind of influence or impact we're leaving, we begin to recognize that we need something that goes well beyond our own lives. We need something that transcends our good decisions and our bad decisions, our actions, our mistakes. So today, we have to ask ourselves, what have we received today that goes beyond our own lives that can then be passed on to those after us? Because we recognize it cannot simply end with us. 
None of us have lived that perfect life that allows ourselves to pass on a perfect impact and influence onto those around us, especially our kids. And so today when we think about it, I mean, all of us are wondering what kind of influence, impact we have. Even if we're single, we're wondering, am I having an impact on the world around me? And if so, what kind of impact? Parents, are you asking yourselves the question, what have I done to my students or am I doing enough right things? If we're asking ourselves this question, friends, I hope that today as we walk through the life of King David and as we get to the end of his life when when it's time for the Israelites to build a temple for God and as he gives a final proclamation, I hope that as we discuss and study the life of King David, we'll see that it has nothing to do with us. We are not the point. He is. He is. Because he is the very thing that we have. I'll give you the answer from the very beginning. It is Jesus Christ that we have been given, that we have received, that transcends our entire lives, that surpasses our mistakes, and good decisions. Because he is the radiance of divine love that shines greater and is far superior than anything we could ever leave behind. So before we get into 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we need to give a brief synopsis of the life of King David. First and foremost, one of the things you should know is that the life of King David is extremely, extremely important to any Israelite, to any Jew. We see the story of David begin in 1 Samuel and then go all the way through 2 Samuel. That's a good chunk. Then we see him again in 1 Kings and then again in 1 Chronicles. We've already discussed four of the 66 books. Not to mention that he is the primary author or one of the primary author of the Psalms. This life and the story of King David is huge when it comes to recognizing what God would have us know about him. And David, he starts out as an irrelevant young shepherd boy, nearly forgotten by his own family. But through his irrelevance, he's also seen as a young boy after God's own heart. Even as a young boy, he is declared to have a heart after God. And because of this heart that is after God, as a young boy, he is anointed to one day become king of Israel. Not in that moment, have you? Not in that moment. In fact, David would go on and wait and wait and wait years to become king. In fact, the king he would replace, he would first serve. He would be in the king's court. He would win the favor of people around him. One of the most famous stories, probably the famous story of David, if not the Bible, is simply that he defeats Goliath. This incredible giant that no other man in the Israelite army, not even King Saul himself, wanted to go up against. And David defeats him. And so after years of waiting, after going on the run, because King Saul, whom David would replace, Saul becomes so jealous and envious, he goes chasing after him. He wants to kill David. So David goes on the run. He hides even into enemies' camps. But eventually David becomes king. The man after God's own heart, he becomes king after years and years of waiting. The crazy part is that after David becomes king, after he was said to be the man after God's own heart, the young boy who rose up, defeated Goliath, had these amazing victories, these amazing decisions. The man who loved 
people and loved God. This man becomes king and begins to make critical mistakes. You see, as he becomes king, he has these amazing victories, yes and amen, but he becomes a bit lackadaisical. When the Israelite army is supposed to be out at war, and they are out at war, he decides he's going to stay back in the palace instead of leading his men. And this decision to stay back into his palace, to, to just have his own leisure time to himself, it would lead to some of the, most, the second most famous story, his forced affair with Bathsheba. This affair would ultimately result in her getting pregnant, for which he has to try to reconcile And so as he's trying to fix all of this, he ultimately decides, I need to have the husband, Bathsheba's husband, killed. This is the man after God's own heart. The man who was anointed as a young boy. The man who won the hearts of the people. Defeats Goliath. But he chose to just stay around the palace. Have his own leisure time. And he ends up becoming an adulterer. He ends up becoming a murderer. And he's not even aware of it. It was only after the prophet Nathan would come to him and give him an analogy that he began to realize that he himself had made critical mistakes. But this isn't the end of his mistakes. He repents and he seeks back after God for everything that he's done. But even after this, he's making huge mistakes as a father, let alone as a king. His mistakes as a father ultimately result in his son trying to start a coup. So he goes back on the run again from his own son. And as he's on the run, as he's trying to escape his son and and the people that his son have risen up, more and more people die as a result of his mistakes. And then we come to the end of his life. The end. Because this is... This is essentially the story of David. Great highs, super highs, great decisions, amazing decisions. And then super lows, critical mistakes. If there is anybody who would be consumed with their life, it is King David. We all have highs and lows, but nothing like that what David had. And so as we then ask ourselves, what do we have to pass on to those around us? What kind of impact and influence are we leaving? I find it interesting David's recording of the end of his life. I find it interesting to discuss and to study to see exactly what David has to say because at the end of David's life he has this desire to build a temple for God. And for whatever reason, we don't know his motivation perhaps. I mean, it could simply to be glory to, give glory to God. And God says no. It's not your responsibility. You are not going to be the one who builds my temple. So at the end of David's life, we come then to 1 Chronicles 29. This is it. This is the end for him. His final declaration, his final proclamation as king and probably as a father. And this is an opportunity for him to be consumed with his life, to look at all of his victories, to look at all of his mistakes, and to then declare to the Israelites what to do and what not to do, to justify his mistakes, to explain himself, to try to reconcile all of these things. But we don't see that here. First Chronicles chapter 
29, starting in verse 10. This is what David has to say. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. These are the opening verses to this prayer. David takes these four verses not to give a lecture, not to begin pointing out different things of his life, not to begin saying, hey, I know I did this, I know I did this, I know I did this, or hey, I know I did this, you should look this. No, 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 no. He takes these four verses and he simply looks to God. The opening of his prayer has nothing to do with him, but it has everything to do with God all. Mighty. He's not wondering about his life. He's not wondering about his influence. He's not consumed with his own mistakes or his good decisions or his victories, but he's simply praising God. Nothing else matters. Starting in verse 14, then, things get even more interesting. Join me in 14. But who am I and what is my people? that we should be able to thus that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you david goes on with this prayer all the way through verse 19 but i just want to concentrate on verse 14 today you see he's already taken the first four verses of this prayer to give god all the glory, all the praise. He's not even thinking about himself, but even more so now in verse 14, look what he does. He takes himself completely out of the picture because when it comes to building the temple of God, it's all in the hand of God, and David recognizes this. He's not concerned with his mistakes or his victories. He isn't wondering to himself, man, did I screw everything up? Did I mess all of my people up? Did I mess the trajectory of my son in his kingdom? Did I mess the Israelite people up? Did I, did I, did I? No, he's not doing any of this. He recognizes that if there is any success in the building of this temple, if there's any provision in the building of this temple, if there's any reason why the temple succeeds, it's only because God had already provided for it. David would not be the reason the temple fails or succeeds. God's plan for his temple would be made complete because God surpasses David's life. You see, David desired to build this temple, but it was not his responsibility. It was not his work to ensure that the future decisions of the Israelites would be perfect. It was not his duty to ensure that the future decisions of the Israelites would ultimately lead to a temple being built. You see, God's divine love was already at work 
on the hearts of those who would respond to him. God's divine love surpasses our mistakes and our victories. And as David is at the end of his life, he's recognizing this very thing. David leaves behind this prayer to God and for God's divine love to persevere in the Israelites' heart. If we were to continue reading through this prayer, you would see that he is simply asking God to make a pure heart within the Israelite people. That this pure heart would then persevere and that Solomon, his son, who would become king, would maintain this pure heart. None of this prayer has to do with any of his mistakes or any of his victories. He's not giving God anything to say, hey, uh, God, I did this or I did this. Can you make this right? Or God, I defeated Goliath and I made these right decisions. Can you, can you lift this up in the eyes of the Israelite people? He's not doing any of this. He's simply asking God to have a clean heart persevered towards him, towards God and the Israelite people and his son Solomon. You see, our actions, even the actions of a king, do not limit God from impacting others who will, of their own accord, choose him. Nothing we can do or say can thwart the plan of God. If someone were to choose God, to respond to God, nothing we can do or say will thwart that plan that God would bring them unto himself. And David recognizes this. So rather than becoming all consumed with his own life at the end of his life, he is simply saying, God, would you go before this people as they build you a temple? He's not drawing any attention to himself in the slightest. He's not drawing any attention or consumed with the mistakes that he's made. Friends, I've been in ministry since 2017, five, six years And I have made so many mistakes. It's amazing that anybody ever experiences God in this church. And yet, I think you would all exclaim, no matter how much I mess up my words, no matter how much Ben or or Dave or Brittany or Sarah messes up something here on stage, you walk in and out and you have experienced the love of God despite our flaws and imperfections. Thank you. Someone give me an amen on that. Friends, the good news here is that none of us are perfect. We have all made mistakes. We have all made bad decisions, but our mistakes, our bad decisions cannot stop God from reaching those who would say yes to him. And our victories don't do it either. Sometimes we give ourselves all the credit. Man, I'm glad that I raised my kids in this particular way. Friends, that is as much danger as taking all the credit for our bad mistakes. We are not sources of divine love. I am not a source of divine love. I'm simply a flawed tool which God still uses to deliver the message of his love. That even in my mistakes, even in our imperfections, even in our flaws, God can still use us to deliver his love. And David recognized this. David, the man with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, the greatest of victories and the worst of decisions, God still uses to prepare the Israelites, or at least those who would, 
build a temple for him. You see, David's prayer, much like Abraham and Joseph and Moses, they're billboards, they're signposts that point us forward. We recognize that there's got to be something more. David, the man that all Israelites would know like the back of their own hand, he acts as a sign pointing us towards Christ. Where David falls short in living the imperfect life, leaving behind a flawed life, Christ comes in and does everything that David couldn't. This prayer of David's is a great marker for us today. God told David that he was not responsible to build a temple for him. Friends, parents especially, teachers, neither are we responsible for someone choosing or rejecting God. And some of you needed to hear that this morning. Neither are we responsible for someone's own decision to either accept or reject God. You are not that great. You are not that powerful. So often we want to make sure that those around us are making the right decisions, that they're staying in church, that they are following God. We want to control their decisions. We want to elevate ourselves and think that we have more power than we do. So we often think to ourselves, hey, good call, Justin. Because of that, you just saved a person from hell. Or probably more often than not, we, th- we think to ourselves, man, I wish I'd have done that differently. And we carry this burden. We carry this load that was never meant for us to carry into thinking that because of us, someone is going to hell. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. Our actions have consequences. David's actions have consequences. And we are responsible and we will be held accountable with how we lived obediently or not obediently to God. But we can also walk in the freedom and recognizing and knowing that our actions and decisions do not send or cast out of heaven or hell. That is not ours to carry. Our responsibility is to live as obediently as possible to the God who wants to use us despite our flaws. David was concerned with building a physical temple, but friends, Christ comes in nearly a millennia later and goes so much further than David. He's concerned, Jesus is, not about a physical temple, not about a physical building, but about making spiritual living temples for the glory of God. And where David was still a very flawed tool that was being used by God, Christ comes in and lives the absolute perfect life. And in the same way that David offers this prayer up before the end of his life, Jesus comes in and does almost the exact same thing. I would invite you to join me in John 17. John 17 is often known as the high priestly prayer. John 17 is this, is this time in Jesus' ministry where he's preparing his followers, his disciples, his apostles. He's preparing them for his death and his departure. Much in the same way that David is offering up a prayer to God on behalf of the Israelites, Jesus comes in now and fulfills 
the destination, fulfills the signpost. We discussed it with, with Joseph and how Joseph was this signpost, this billboard that then simply points to Jesus. And we know Jesus to be the final destination because he's so much greater and fulfills everything that a billboard couldn't fulfill. And yes, that was the time I may have been just slightly sacrilegious in comparing Jesus to a Bucky's, but we've moved beyond that. John 17 And again, we're not going to go through the entire prayer, but friends, I would encourage you. As we go from David to Jesus to compare these two prayers and tell me that this isn't a fulfillment of what every Israelite looking for the Messiah would recognize or should recognize. And for you and I as 21st century American Christians, that if we've studied Scripture, we can see that this prayer of Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of everything we could ever possibly want. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him, to you to all whom you have given him. If we were to look back at David's prayer, and if we were to continue on with the prayer of Jesus, but look at how the similarities line up. David gives all the praise and honor, all the glory to God. Jesus comes in, he says, hey, I want you to do this so that you may receive the glory that you deserve. In the same way that David recognizes, hey, anything that we give to you, God, is only because you first had it. And Jesus now says, I just want to glorify you with everything that you have already given me. To give eternal life to all whom you have given. David gave glory to God. Jesus gives glory to the Father. David prayers, prays for the perseverance of his people. And Jesus then, if we were to continue in this, would go on to pray that God's chosen would persevere. This pattern was established to get our attention. That as we study scripture, we would recognize that truly David was not the radiance of divine love, but Christ is. He is. And here's where it gets really cool. David understood. David knew that there had to be something that went beyond, that surpassed, that transcended his life. All of the good and bad decisions. And you know what? Jesus knew this too. Jesus knew that his life was not enough. He could not deliver the Israelite people. He could not deliver the world with simply his life. That in order to have living temples for God, he, like David, must die. But where David could only offer up a prayer, Jesus offers up a prayer and dies himself. Where David offered up a prayer with nothing else to give, Jesus offers up a prayer and gives himself. Because no longer are we looking for a signpost directing us to the radiance of divine love, but Jesus himself is the radiance of divine love. And when Jesus dies, he rises again. And when he rises and ascends and departs this earth, we know that as his followers, we are not left empty-handed. Every person after David died was left, okay, we we're doing this on our own. But when Jesus dies, 
And as he leaves the earth, we know that we have been given God himself through the Holy Spirit to aid and to sanctify and to work in and through us. Because, friends, the burden does not rest on ourselves to live these perfect lives. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all, as flawed tools, get to be used by God himself to deliver his message of love. Not as the sources of love, but as the tools that share his love. Friends, it's time we begin to recognize that it is not ours to build the next temples. Our kids, our students, our family members, our friends, it is not our responsibility to make them temples. Sometimes we begin to elevate ourselves from mere tools who deliver the message of God's love, and we begin thinking ourselves the architect and the developers of the temples. It is not us who makes the temples, but it is he who lives in us. He is the builder, the architect, the designer, and the giver of all love. And we get to be the tools that God uses, despite our mistakes, despite our flaws. You see, Cole Bauman, he caught me slipping up. He caught me making a mistake. And yes, this is silly, and yes, this is trivial, but this is just one example of so many other greater things that we can be consumed in our life. Thinking to ourselves, man, I should have done this differently. Those junior high boys made fun of me, and I overthought that for a week. (laughs) How much more so do we become consumed when our kids walk away from church? When our family members just don't seem to see God the way we see God. When we make a decision as we're raising up our kids that is a critical mistake and they resent us for years and years and years, what do we do? We do what David did, we do what Christ did, and we simply let God. And we cry out knowing that it is not our burden to bear about whether someone chooses or rejects God, but we know that God can still use us despite our mistakes. Friends, this Christmas Eve morning, some of you needed to hear that. To understand that there is freedom. To understand that God desires to use us despite everything we have ever done. In fact, he doesn't simply desire, he will use us. Our goal is to not allow our lives to be the source of love. Our goal is not to be the ones our kids always look to for for advice or for answers or for anything of that matter. Our goal is simply to pass on who he is so that when we fail, when we make mistakes, their foundations aren't shaken, but they can continue to rely upon the God that we have communicated. He is the one. He is the one who goes beyond our lives and surpasses all of our mistakes and victories. He is the radiance of divine love that is far superior and shines far greater than anything you or I could ever do. He is the radiance of divine love. And so friends, today as we close, I would invite you to stand.
And in similar fashion as we've done for this series, friends, this Christmas Eve morning, I would invite you, I would invite you to think, to reflect on, who is it in your life that you ultimately think to yourself, man, I wish I would have done things differently? Who is it in your life that keeps you imprisoned to analyzing yourself and thinking, I did that, or man, I wish I wouldn't have done that? What in your life keeps you from understanding that there is freedom in Christ? Because Christ is the radiance, not you. We are mere billboards. We get to be living temples, yes, with our imperfections. But always knowing, always understanding that God is far greater and far more powerful than anything we could ever do or say on this earth. So today, we proclaim. And I would invite you, I would invite you to read along with me as we close this morning's service. He is the one through whom the whole universe was created. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the upholder of all things by the word of his power. He is our access to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen and amen. May you all forever recognize the freedom that Christ gives. Be blessed. Have a Merry Christmas, and we hope to see you this evening. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.